When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're good. We can go. All right. Hold on. I got to I got to just. I Tell got me it. when, bro. Can you hear me? I do. I All do. Right. I'm good to go. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Joe Beningo, the Oda Payne podcast, a special edition here on Tuesday, the final day of February 2023. And of course, the Joe Beningo Oda Payne podcast brought to you by DraftKings, by Anita Discount Tire, and by Hack the Hackensack Brewing Company. And joining us today, Boy, the greatest defensive player in the history of the New York Jets finally, finally got in the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. Number 73, the great Joe Klecko. Joe, how are you, man? Well, I got to carry you around, Joe. You made me sound fantastic there. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, bro, look, I don't think it's any question. You know, I said this. I thought it was very fitting that you and Revis went in together. Because you guys, you know, you're number one, he's number two, as far as the greatest defensive players in the history of the franchise. So I thought that was terrific that that happened that way. You know, we were doing a podcast out there for somebody, I thought it was serious radio, and he mentioned that. He, he said, you know, he goes, Joe and I were the two best players ever to play on defense for the New York Jets. And uh, that's a pretty good compliment after all these years. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, uh, tremendous stuff. And I, I'm sure up at Canton in the induction, because I think the Jets are actually playing in the uh, Hall of Fame game now this year. And, you know, that's going to be a big day up at the, up at Canton with the two Jets going in at the same time. I mean, that's that's pretty good, Joe. I mean, the Jets have had a pretty good year. you got two MVPs going in from the current team from defense and offense, two guys going in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, yeah, they're going to play in the Hall of Fame game. I don't know who it's going to be yet, but uh, I think it'll be New York West for at least a week out there, Joe. Yeah, no question about it. No doubt about it, Joe. You know, it's unfortunate. The one game we got to play in is that Super Bowl, Joe, though. It's been a long time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're we're 54 years into it now, Joe. It's a little painful, I got to tell you. Yeah, this getting close stuff isn't working anymore. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. It's time to get it done. How did you feel? Now, I thought it was very interesting. So, Joe Namath, Comes to your your house in New Jersey. I know you live in Jersey. I won't say where, but you live in Jersey. Comes to your house in Jersey, knocks on the door. You had no idea he was coming and basically tells you you got in the Hall of Fame. Is that how it went down? Yeah. Matter of fact, the Hall called me the week before, and they said to me, Joe, listen, if you're successful, because you had to wait for the vote from the uh, 48 players, uh, voters to, uh, you know, 80% of them had to have rubber stamp what in my, uh, uh, you know, an anointment from the uh, uh, senior committee. Right. So uh, they said, but if we can't get a hold of you, who at your house is living with you? Like I said, well, my wife and my youngest daughter is still home. Everybody, everybody else is married. So that I gave them their phone numbers. Right. And, uh, they actually called my daughter and they said, listen, uh, we're going to come here on Tuesday. I think it was certain time and uh they said we got to keep your dad home between this time and she said well my mom can do anything my dad <laughs> my dad listens to my mom so uh they figured it out i had 
take my wife to a doctor's appointment, which she didn't have. And right. When uh, they were coming to the door, I, I, because I, I get up real early and I, I was hungry, so I had them order food. And so usually they answer the door because nobody comes to my house. Right, right. And uh, somebody's knocking on the door pretty hard. So I'm kind of running at the door because they didn't answer. And here it's Joe. So I kind of opened it. I don't know if you've seen the knock, but uh, I answered the door and I seen it's Joe and I was surprised as hell. You could see in my, uh, my you know, reaction. And I turned to my wife and I said, hey, honey, Joe Namath came to lunch. You know, but right. here he is in his gold jacket and 14 cameras behind him, you know, so you, you knew exactly what it was. And it was just, it was a very, very, very gratifying time. Yeah, I mean, of course, no doubt about it. And and Joe actually introduced you at the honors when they, you know, unveil all the new Hall of Famers. Joe Willie actually was the guy that introduced you on stage as well. Yeah, and, and Jim Porter, the president of the Hall of Fame, actually told me that, you know, in the beginning, when they asked Joe if he would do it, uh, Joe said, I really don't know if I can. But, but I, then Joe, he called him back about five o'clock in the morning, Porter told me. And he said, uh, listen, I, I didn't have to think about this. He goes, I'll come do it for Joe. So it was, uh, you know, name is his name. Is, you know, Joe, he's, he's an icon. He was the AFL's, you know, face for a long time. And, you know, He's he's a perfect ambassador for anyone. Joe's just a nice fella. I mean, everybody meets Joe. Joe makes them feel like they're his best friend. And, uh, you know, of course, I've known Joe for a long time now. And it was really, really cool to have him come and have him in the, announce it on stage at the awards banquet was even a, a bigger plus. No question about it. We're talking to the great Joe Klecko, Hall of Famer now, after all these years, one of the great defensive linemen of all time. And for the people that don't know, the only guy to, to be named All-Pro at three different positions, nose tackle, defensive end, and, and defensive tackle. Let's go back, Joe, to the genesis, if you will, of the sack exchange. Because the when I think of the sack exchange, the first year that I really think of is 1981. Yeah, I, to me, that's the year that you guys really blossomed into this, you know, destructive defensive line. I think you had 66 sacks that year. I might it might be off. I think it was 66. Yep. And of course, you guys finally made the playoffs after, you know, the Jets hadn't made the playoffs for 12 years. 1981, you finally make the playoffs. How, how, was that the year that it really just kind of all came together as the New York sack exchange? Yeah, without, without a doubt, because, you know, we were doing OK defensively and then the draft year, the, the year before uh, that Marty and Mark were drafted, you know, and right. really put the line together at that time. I mean, and then Mark and I became such a force, you know, rushing the passer. And then, of course, we had a great running game with, you know, with Freeman McNeil. The yep. offensive line was, you know, we had two first-rounders to tackle, and we were we were doing good things. And, you know, uh, we thought we were going to even go further than we did, of course, because we got a little – Step back in the very beginning of the game. We were down 14 nothing before you blinked an eye. But, you know, we were making our way back. And except for that interception that Richard threw in the end there, I mean, we thought we were going to keep going. But uh, it, was, it was a great start for us. And that 1981 year, I mean, we, you know, we didn't know what the press was. You know, and now we're going, we're getting two contracts. And right, know, right. we're going down to the stock exchange and, and shooting the films. It was just awesome to be that way. 
Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. And that 1981 playoff loss to the Bills, I still let me tell you, Joe, I still got hemorrhoids from that game. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know, every time, every time I see Bruce Harper, and I see Bruce quite a bit, he lives up here near me in Jersey. And I always bust him because remember, if you remember, he opening kickoff, he fumbles. Yeah. Charles Rome picks it up and runs it in for a touchdown. So I'm waiting 12 years for a playoff game, Joe, in the first play. They, they recover a fumble for a touchdown. Oh, my God. That, that was one of the most painful losses, that Buffalo game. I'll tell you, Joe. That was a tough one. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, guys, but you know what? In the end of it, though, you know, towards the end of the game, we actually felt we were going to have it, you know? Oh, yeah. No, no. You guys came back. Yeah, oh, yeah, Bill Simpson, he makes that interception in the end zone. And it was like, oh, just – the air command of the balloons, it really. Did. Yeah, yeah. I was, I wasn't too happy with Richard Todd, but I don't want to get into that right now. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that alone. You know, my greatest memory, beside that, the, a good memory of 1981, and I'll never forget it. The last game of the year, you guys are playing the Packers at Shea Stadium. Hey. You win the game, you make the playoffs. Not only that, but the Giants get into the playoffs too. The playoffs. Yeah. Right. If you guys win. And you guys just Lynn Dickey was the quarter. I was in I was at Shea for that game. Lynn Dickey was the quarterback that day for the Packers, and you just destroyed. You must have sacked them ten times, something like that in that game. Yeah, well, How about that game, Joe? Yeah. And and I, I actually I really felt bad for him because he I mean, you can see he was ducking before long because I remember right. I came in one time and I actually threw the tackle over top of him. And <laughs> uh, he was ducking, you know, to get away from it. So I, I mean, if you could ever feel sorry for an opponent, I actually felt bad for him that day. Yeah, yeah you guys really let him have it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you sacked the quarterback, okay, did you ever say anything to him? Did you, like, say, you know, pat him on the back and say, don't worry, I'm coming back again? I mean, something like that. <laughs> how, how about that? There was only two quarterbacks that I ever said anything to them, them years. was Burt Jones from Baltimore. Right, yep. Burt would run his mouth like you wouldn't believe. Really? And, and, you know, I hit him one time. It's it's only a highlight film of mine where I'm spinning out of the the, uh, clutch of the the tackle, and I hit him with my arm, and he goes flying across (laughs) the backfield, you know? And I said to him, and I said said to him, keep it up, you know, with an expletive, you know? so Right, right, sure. Jim and, and Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly and Jim, I seen Jim at the at the induction at the at the ceremony at the Super Bowl, and he grabbed me. We were in a meeting where all of the uh, uh, gold jackets were there with us. Right, he, right. He gets like, "Come here, tell that story to the you know media." I said, "Well, no, you can tell it." So anyway, I was playing against uh, the the Bills, and I got a confrontation out in the middle of the field, and I said to Red Cash, and who I knew pretty well. Right, you know, right. Said, what are you doing calling that? And Kelly turned to me and goes, oh, first name basis, huh? And I said, you know what, punk, now I know why people don't like you. And that merely made me mad. So they're on the maybe foot line, one foot line about the score, first down. I came off the ball, offside. I came through the gap. I drilled him in the, right in the face mask, and he went flying back to the 10-yard line. And he even admitted after his career that – but they, he said the hardest hit he ever took was that hit. Yeah, that's it. Well, not, not, I'm telling you, man, you you were a monster out there. But, you know, you don't get – and I and I think because I'm – you know, I go way back. I mean, I've been watching football since 1961, you know, and I've been a Jet fan since 65, and I got the scars on my body to prove it, Joe. Let me tell you. <laughs> but anyway, 
Anyway, I mean, you run right up there with any of these guys. We talked about it. I mean, you want to talk about Bob Lilly or Merlin Olson or, uh, you know, uh, Alan Page or, or Reggie White. I mean, you you give me the great defensive tackle, and, and Joe Klecko is right there with all those guys. Right? Well, I mean, really. You know, two of them guys, you know, were, were my idol growing up. Bob Lilly and Merlin Olson. One of the right. great that I had. Uh, right. Merlin did a lot of our games. And it was really a pleasure, you know, to uh, talk to him at times. Bob Lilly, Randy White tells me Bob Lilly's still pretty good still. But, of course, Marlon's passed on. Right, but, uh, right. I, I don't know if I could be put in the same breath with Reggie White, though. Reggie White, to me, Rick, to me, Reggie White was, without a doubt, the best defensive lineman ever to play football. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's certainly uh, one of the guys. There's no doubt about it. And we're talking about one. We're talking to one of the great defensive linemen ever to play football in Joe Klecko. Your relationship with Gastineau, okay? Obviously, you know, when you guys played, it seems there was friction. You guys had a problem. And, and you know what's funny, Joe? You guys had a problem with the sack dance. Now everybody does. Now everybody does a dance after they sack the quarterback, right? I mean, it's it's universal. Yeah. But but how about your relationship with Gastineau? Tell tell us about that. Well, when we played, it was, there was a lot of friction between us, you know. And you know, I think Mark Mark just did a, a SMY did a, a a go around to a lot of guys I played with for right. a thing they're going to run about right. me. Let me just stop you for a second, Joe. They also me too. Oh, good. I'll be I'll be in that as well. Great. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but anyway, he was he called me, and him and I have buried the hatchet, and we get right. along very right. well. And uh, you know, he was telling me that you know he he was telling the the uh, guy doing it. He goes, you know, I hated Joe when we played, and you know, I never really hated Mark. I surely didn't like the dance, which everybody knew. I was right. I was right. a lunch pail guy, you know. And we didn't get along while we played that much. But I knew one thing. The only thing important to me ever was winning. All I ever wanted to do was win. And, you know, that year, uh, I shot my foot up 12 weeks in a row before the game and at halftime so I could walk. You talk about 81 now? Is this 1981? Yeah. Wow. And I was the defensive player of the year that year. Yeah. I could hard, I, I would join a cast all week long and not practice. And then right before the game, I would come out, loosen my foot up in a whirlpool, and I played in the game. And, uh, you know, I always felt that I had to be in the game for our team to win. And I think one of the factors of that was, that I think, in 1986, uh, we were 10-1, I think. Oh, yeah. And yep. then Lance Mel and myself both had knee injuries, and we didn't win another game. Yeah. No, I, I know. Well, you won that. You won the playoff game against the Chiefs, yeah. and then the disaster in Cleveland, which to me is still the worst loss in the history of the franchise. The double overtime disaster in the divisional round yeah. against the Browns. But I, I want to go back. Let's go back to '82, the strike year. You guys lose opening day. I was at Shea for this game. You lose to the Dolphins opening day. I think it was 45-28. Then you play the Patriots in New England. You win the game, but you get hurt in that game. Right. right, 1982. I think I don't know if you. Tore, I guess you tore your knee up in that game, I, right? I busted my patella tendon, my right knee. Yeah. Wow. And now, so then you have, but that turns out to be the last game for right. like two months. You guys, right. they, they don't come back to like around Thanksgiving time. Whenever they came back to play, they wind right. up playing a nine-game season. But you came back, right? When did you, yeah. when did you come back? 
I in that back, season. I came back for the playoffs. You you I didn't played, play at all in the regular season after that. No, I played in all three, uh, all of the three playoff games. Right, yeah. right. And uh, you know, it's one of them things again. Like the the trainers and doctors were just amazed. You know, I came back from a major knee injury. Yeah, I forget who it was on the Giants. It was a receiver that actually had the same injury not too long ago. Might be about six, seven years ago. And he broke his patella tendon. They called me about it. And the reporters were asking me, Joe, you had Victor Cruz. I think it was Victor Cruz, Joe. Okay. And 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 they said, I said, I don't think you'll have a problem because you know the tendon is a big part of your body, but a lot of right. 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 And I came back and played, you know, uh, you know, four years after that, you know. So you know, I I came back to play in the playoffs because again, there's that point I felt my team needed me. And of course, Shula had another word to say about the field that day, but uh, you know, uh uh, that was one of the reasons, you know, that uh, I uh, I came back because I felt we had a we had a win. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys came close that year. Again, we're talking to the great Hall of Famer Joe Klecko. That was a pretty good run. You beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. You blew them out, and they were the defending AFC champions. And you could beat them forty four thirteen, something like that. Yeah. Hammered them that day. And in that great game, this is one of the great games in the history of the franchise. You go into L.A. to play the Raiders in a divisional game, 95,000 people at the Coliseum, whatever it was, and you guys win that game. I think the final score was 17-14. Tell us a little bit about You remember that game, Joe? You got, you, oh, yeah. Oh, you very, get Jim Plunkett a couple times in that game, right? Very much so. You know, and the, one of the, the the hero of that game was Lance Mel. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, uh, Lance had intercepted the ball, and, uh, you know, they're – uh, and and Plunkett threw it right to him. I couldn't believe it. And we're, we got the ball back. And Freeman McNeil fumbles yep. the ball right back to them and gives them the ball back. Two plays later, Lance does it again. Intercepts yep. the ball over the middle. And basically, that was the end of the game. And, uh, I mean, you know, it was a hard-fought game. That was the, that was the game where uh, Lyle Alzado threw Chris Ward's helmet at him. Yep. And, yep. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was it, – and the, of course, the Raiders were very, you know, uh, always, uh, you know, kind of guys want to mix up. And we didn't care. You know, they said, if this is what you want, let's go for it. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, that was a great game. That was a hard fought game. And that was, that was the kind of team we were. And that's the kind of team they were, you know? Yeah, that was, a, that was one of the all-time games. And, and if you remember, at halftime of that game, you know the story about this where yeah, Bill Michael yeah. – Right. right, he gets the phone call. He thinks it's Al Davis, right? And it, it, it was some bartender from New York, I think, that called him. Wasn't that the deal, Joe? Yeah, yeah. He he was tearing the locker room apart to have because he <laughs> thought it was bugs. Oh boy, well that was one of Walt's prime prime games, there, boy. That was no, no doubt. Now tell tell us tell us your relation because Walt Michaels was a great coach, and and I want to get into why he got fired. We got to get into that too a little bit, but. Walt Michaels was a big factor in your career, right? I mean, tell us about your relationship with Michaels. Well, Walt was Walt was a perfect perfect person for me to come into the league with. He reminded me so much of my dad. You know, I tell this story now, and uh, like in the little league, I I would play shortstop and pitch. Right. And, uh, uh, one day we're playing in a championship game there, like you go to the World Series in the little league, and I hit a home run to win the game. And I was left-handed. My dad sat in right field. And uh, he would never come to me. Everybody's congratulating me. And I walk out to see my dad. And my dad says, why would you boot the ball at short? 
that's what I was used to. Walt was right. that kind of guy. Walt right. was the kind of guy, do your job. And if you do your job, we're going to be fine. And that's all I cared about. Walt never yelled at me. Walt didn't have to yell at me. And other guys that needed that pat on the back, though, you know, never really got it where, like, Walt could never coach today. You know what I mean? And right, right. Hard-nosed old guy. But when Walt was with the Philadelphia Eagles, he seen me play at Temple. Okay? He was under Mike McCormick way back then. Mm -hmm. And he was coaching linebackers, I believe, in Philly. And that's how he got the job in New York. And he watched me play. And he was one of the main reasons that the Jets drafted me. So what was that, what was a big part of my career, no doubt. Yeah, and 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 tell us the story. I, we won't even get into the mud game in Miami, the disaster with that. You know, Don Shula, who I have no, oh, he never had any love for. Yeah. Okay, doesn't have a top. The whole deal, you lose fourteen nothing. But what happened on that plane ride coming back from Miami? Because that's that's where Walt wound up getting fired. Really, right? Wasn't yeah. it, Joe? Yeah, uh, Walt was pissed mainly because Richard didn't come back with us. Richard stayed in Miami. Really? Richard yeah, Richard Ty stayed. And of course, Walt was drinking and, you know, he was mad. He was just mad about, you know, everything that happened. And, uh, you know, uh, the next day, the, you know, he was throwing things and he was mad at everybody. So but the next day, I think what was the, the, the key to the whole thing, uh, when we came in for our last meeting to go, you know, for the season to go home, Walt didn't address us. Walt had, uh, uh, I think it was Jim Kensel at that time, addressed mm -hmm. us, or one of the coaches, I forget who it was, but Walt didn't address us in that meeting. And then the next thing we do, really, we turned around, and here we find out Walt gets fired about a week later after taking up to the, to the AFC Championship game. And there was a real puzzlement behind it. There was a lot of things that were said that I didn't. I can't verify for truth or nothing like that. But uh, I guess Mr. Hess was a little mad at him about you know not addressing the team at the end of that year, and uh, you know uh, he just figured it was time and he let him go. What a mistake that was. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I mean the disaster was you know that you know they named Joe Walton as the head coach. You know. Yep. And I think Walt. Walt knew what he was doing, there's no doubt. And I think his input with the draft also was a big deal, how we put the team together. And I think, you know, it, it was funny because, you know, that's the last time Walt coached. And it was a shame because uh, he kind of turned off to everybody because even I called his son when Walt passed away and uh, they were going to have only a family funeral. because I wanted to go up to, he was in Shikshini, Pennsylvania, and mm -hmm. I wanted to go up and go to a funeral. And, uh, I forget what it, it was a phone call I made to his son. He called me back and he said, you know, Joe, dad loved you and all that. And he goes, but, uh, you know, we're making it just a family thing. So uh, and it was it was tough on me uh, at the end of the whole thing because Walt kind of turned himself off to the NFL from then on. Hmm. Talking to the great Hall of Famer, Joe Klecko. And Joe, I, I really appreciate it all the time. Um, let, let's get into this a little bit. So Walton comes in. Okay, Walton takes over. The first two years that Walton's the coach, you guys are under 500. I think you were like seven and nine both years, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Richard yeah. leaves after the 83 season. You know, that turns out to be a disaster and all of that. And, but Bud Carson takes over as the defensive coordinator. 
And that's when you guys started playing well again, right? I mean, how about how about what Bud Carson meant to you in your career? Well, big time, because that's actually when I when I went down to nose tackle. Bud came to me and he said to me, he says, Joe, he goes, this is what we want to do. And he had Joe Green at the Steelers, who used yep. to play that cock nose, but they played in the four-man line. He wanted me to play it in a three-man line, and which is covering both A gaps, but slanting to one side primarily. And I said, Well, I said, you know, you tell me what you want. And let's figure this out. Do I want to try it? I said, yeah. I said, if you let me have a little freedom here, I think I could do this. And I figured out how to really make it work by blowing them gaps and going the other way. And actually, centers became baffled about where I was going. And they were a little bit off guard every time they snapped the ball because they didn't know what to expect from me. And I, you know, I mean, I said, I said, I don't know what I had in sacks that year. But, you know, from nose tackle, I had a lot of sacks and I made a lot of penetration, you know, right. for the passing game where everybody always thinks as a nose tackle, you know, you're cannon fodder, you're taking up two blockers. Well, I, you know, Boomer said something the other day, I was on the show and he was talking about how he would protect against me where usually when somebody got in a gap, they would slide the protection where they'd bring the guard down hard and the tackle down hard, you know? And they said, we couldn't do that to you because we didn't know where you were going. He goes, so we had to pinch everybody down, which actually benefited our ends and linebackers because now they had to worry so much about the middle that they were freeing up guys on the end. And Boomer said it was a nightmare for us. And, mm -hmm. and that's what Bud wanted, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that was the one. I probably learned more about defensive football in – the time that Bud was there with Dan Radakovich. And I learned more about defensive football than probably anybody when he was there. Wow. Talking to the legendary, the great, the Hall of Famer, Joe Klecko. Uh, a lot of great, back in those times, Joe, a lot of great games with the Dolphins. I mean, there, there, nobody I hated more than Miami. I still hate them. I hate everybody that's not my team. You know how that is. But, <laughs> but especially those games against Marino. How many? Did you sack him a number? I mean, did you get because he didn't get he didn't sack not you personally, but Marino didn't get sacked too much. No, no, like and, that. and I don't think I ever sacked Marino. Really? Yeah, but but what I did, I hit him a lot. Right. Because you know, uh, I remember that uh, Don Shula was talking about it, and he said that there's only one person ever that he could not leave Dwight Stevenson one on one with, when that was me. Wow. Because yeah, Dwight and I had a lot of the same attributes. We were both right. quick. He was super quick, and he right. had great hands. And that was my game, you know. But I remember, um, you know, every like I would, I would always go in and I'd hit him low because I would be diving at him because he's throwing the ball. And you know, Stevenson would always go to the referee, tell him what you hit him in the legs for. I said, well, tell him not to throw the ball so fast. I won't hit him in the legs. No <laughs> right, right. He was he was the toughest guy in the world to sack. But the the memorable game, of course, is. The one where he and Kenny had to shoot out. 51-45. Yeah, and, and I think that was our highest scoring game ever in the NFL up to that point, which has since been broken. But, you know, for a time where they threw the ball a lot less than they throw the ball today, that was a pretty good game. Yeah, that was 51-45 at the old Giants Stadium. Yeah. And I'll never – you guys were down – because I'm, I'm at this game. You guys are down 45-38 late. 
The last play of regulation, Kenny hits Wesley for the tying touchdown. Right. And then in overtime, Wesley – in fact, Wesley caught four touchdown passes in that game. Yep. I'll, ne I'll never forget. That was one – yeah, that was one – that might be the best win you guys ever had against the Dolphins was that, that There's no doubt, yeah. yeah. You know? Freo was just tough. Listen, them receivers and him had – they could seem to throw the ball with his eyes closed. He knew where they were. You know, that was it. They had a great tandem, you know, with Duper and uh, – and, uh, Mark Clayton. Mark Clayton. I mean, the two of those, you know, and of course they had a decent running game at times, but, you know, Marino was just such a great, a great thrower of the ball. He really was. Yeah, probably the best pure passer I ever saw was him. You know, I mean, Joe Willie was up there too, but Marino was, yeah. was unbelievable. I mean, they, they talk about a lot of guys, but, you know, Dan Marino, you know, and it's amazing that, you know, they went to the Super Bowl one time and lost, but, uh, you know, uh, they never went back. And, you know, everybody thought he would be back for sure. That's another one. If we would have beaten the Dolphins in that playoff game, we had to play the Redskins, and Riggins ran all over them guys. All over them, yeah. Nobody ran on us. Nobody. And, boy, we, I think if we would have got to that game, I bet that would have been a different story. Was he the best quarterback you ever played against, Marino? Would you say I, he was I, the best? I would, I would say. I mean, I played against Montana. But Montana right. has – Montana usually had a great running game with a long – with a good defense. So, But, uh, you know, listen, Joe Montana is – Probably one of the best ever, also in the same category. But you know, uh, Marino to me, Marino and Elway, right? Elway right. was the kind of guy that he was such a great athlete. You know, yeah, he could he run away from you, and he had such a strong arm. I remember chasing him to his left, my right, on a on a sack one time, and he threw the ball all the way across the field for a touchdown, and he was on the thirty-five yard line. And I was like, he threw this off balance. I'm like, my God. So uh, as far as an athlete and a great quarterback, I think Elway was that. But Marino, as far as uh, just a, a tremendous thrower of the football, he was the best. You Do you remember the game? And I don't know if you remember. I'm sure, I'm sure you probably do. 1986 was a Monday night game against the Broncos in, in the Meadowlands. And you guys killed them that. I, I mean, I forget what the final score was, you know. But you, you buried him in that game. Do you remember that game against the Broncos in 86? I got in a fight with. He froze here a little bit. Joe, you with us? Yeah. Recording. Oh, you're back, Joe? We lost you. You froze on me for a second. Oh, okay. All right, in that game, in the uh, Denver game, I got in a fight with Keith Bishop. And he was a big left guard, and he got out of the game. And later on, when I was going around, when the Jets released me, I went to Denver for a physical. And who's the first guy I see in the locker room at Denver was Keith Bishop. And he, goes, <laughs> and he says, the coach, he goes, sign that asshole. I don't want to play against him. I had broke his larynx. Wow. In the fight, yeah. So do I remember, I remember the game well. Wow. Yeah, because they were coming out of the end zone. And they were in a in a bad situation, so we stomped them pretty good that day. Yeah, I remember it well. Again, talking to the great Hall of Famer Joe Klecko. What when did you go down in that '86 season, Joe? What? Well, I because I don't remember the game you got hurt in. What, you remember what I, game? I believe was it was the Pittsburgh game. The Pittsburgh game, and uh, I was rushing the passer, and somebody caught me from the didn't hit me in the leg, caught me from the side. I I already had some problems with my knee going into that game, and I, I you know I went and worked on it and. I was wearing a brace for the first time ever. And uh, 
when I went down, I the trainers came out to get me, and I was on the field a long time. And, they, and I said to them, I said, "All right, it's like we're going to hospital." So you know, I knew I couldn't do it no more. And then that's when I got uh, that, that, that's when I got fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. It really is. Um, who was the toughest offensive lineman for you, Joe? That, that, that's a tough one in a way because, you know, I played the three positions and all of them had their, you know, certain benefits or deterrence. And, of course, at center was Dwight Stevenson. You know, he was, without a doubt, you know, here's a guy, I, I guess he played eight seasons in a row and he's in the Hall of Fame. And he should yeah. be because he was yeah. that good. Uh, Mike Webster was always the kind of guy who was never a give-up guy and a tough guy to play against. Uh, John Hanna at guard, without a doubt. John was the kind of guy, basically, that if you beat him, he wanted to tear your heart out. You know, he, he, you could not intimidate John. John was never – he was always going to be coming after you. And, of course, left tackle was Anthony Munoz. Anthony was probably the best guy I ever played against left tackle. Mm. Um, that's uh, all Hall of Fame is there. Yeah, exactly. Stevenson got hurt. Stevenson tore his knee up against you guys, yeah, right? Marty, was it not? Marty, it's funny. Two Alabama guys, Marty. Yeah. They threw an interception, and Marty hit hit Stevenson. Not, not a tough fly, but he he hurt his knee on that game, and that was the last game he played. Yeah. No, I Shula know. Was pissed. We went. I went into the locker room to see him after that game, and Shula was raving. He wouldn't let Marty come in. Really? Wow. Yeah. He was pissed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that. That was. Uh, that was that was crazy the injury to Stevenson great Joe Klecko let's talk a little bit about what's going on now now you made some comments that you don't want to see Aaron Rodgers with the Jets right T tell me the reason why you don't want to see Rodgers here Joe well you know I I, I I always relate it to us as a team when we were growing up and uh, us playing together and I was you know I was coach I met with coach Salah when we were out there when I first got nominated and I was talking to him and he told me something that Rex Ryan told him about bringing players in that know him. And he mm -hmm. did that and it really turned out well. And these are a bunch of young guys fighting together. And I said, that's what I remember of us when we started winning. Right. We had right. The guys that, and, and Joe Douglas has drafted has been pretty good except for, you know, the quarterback situation. Right. Yeah, he's got exactly. some guys together that play hard together. And that's something that really unites the team. And I just think that if they brought Rodgers in, and, you know, you've seen him in his condescending attitude at times with players, I just think that would hurt the Jets more than help him. Hmm. All right, so obviously the Jets right now, they're looking for a quarterback, right? It's not going to be Zach Wilson. That's... Too bad Mike White gets hurt all the time because the kid's pretty good. I mean, the games he's yeah. played. He's been really good. A smart quarterback, yeah. No, So who would you want? So do you want to see Derek Carr, the quarterback of his team? Or who would you well, want to see? I, I say that reason being is because uh, Carr, he's been an all-pro for a few years. He's had great years. And, again, he throws the deep ball as well as anybody. And I think that's a big deal because they have that deep threat, you know, in Wilson on the Jets and all. Yep, he yep. also has been able to, to, to navigate the game and know the game well. I mean, uh, Lamar Jackson, I believe – you know, he's out there, but I think, you know, he's, he's, I think he's more of a running back than he is a quarterback, even though he does, yep. you know, sit in a quarterback situation. He was a, an MVP, but still, I, I don't see him like fitting with 
Jets offense, you know, that, you know, if uh, the running back, whoa, uh, comes back. Brees Hall. Brees Hall. Brees Hall comes back from his knee injury and is anything like he was. I, he was, well, he may have been headed for rookie of the year type thing, you know? Yeah, no uh, doubt. And, and if he, and they know they have to secure the offensive line. So I just think Carr is a real much, a, a much better fit for them than anybody else that they're looking at. What do you think of the coach? What do you think of Sal? I, I think he's tremendous. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that do like, I, I was talking to, at one point with Pete Carroll a couple of years ago with it. And then I talked to Howie Long a lot about it. And, and all the guys at San Francisco loved him, you know, and, you know, I always said the one thing about a head coach, I don't think a head coach has to coach that much as he has to get a team ready to play. Mm-hmm. And if he gets them ready, it's like, you know, the perfect example of that was Dick Vermeil. Nobody cried more than Dick Vermeil. Okay? Yeah, right, and right, the, right. The guy right. would run through a brick wall for Dick Vermeil. And that was that was a perfect example of what I mean by getting the guys ready to play. They loved him and they wanted to play for him. And you you can see with Salah now with with Beckett, you know, he's always thinking positive of him. He hasn't played for them yet. And last year he didn't play at all as a Back first round draft choice. They were looking for a lot of things. And, and he never said anything negative. Always positive, always positive. And I think that's a great thing when a coach has your back all the time. You know, you love that. And, and that's what he does. And I think he gets them ready, you know. And listen, he calls them on a carpet too. You know, a lot of times I've heard that, you know, when they were lost a couple of games, you know, he said, if you don't want to be here, we'll get rid of you. You know, and he has that demeanor to him also that side. But he also is all for his guys. And I think when you do that and, you know, he's in the huddle with them and he knows that he has their back and all, I think you always get your guys to play harder. Now, I want to go back to that because that to me is the one area that I – and maybe it's because I don't – you know, we don't see it out there. You know, because he, he, he never criticizes anybody in the press conferences or anything like that. But you're telling me that Salah does get tough on the players behind the scenes. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll rip them when they got to be ripped. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of things that he's done, you know, with the people at the Jets and all. And that's what, I, you know, listen, that's what his head coach has to do. I mean, he's, he's brought in there to do what's right. And he, you have to be a psychologist today more than a head coach almost. Right. And, right. Know, there's a time that you give your kid a licking, and there's a time you pat him on the back and give him a hug. And he does this pretty well. You know, I want to go back again. We're talking to the legendary, the Hall of Famer, Joe Klecko, number seventy-three in your program. I got the, I got the, I got the, uh, the jersey right over here, Joe. In fact, I got it from you. That the, the jet, I, I got the Joe Klecko jersey from you. You know what I got to do? Because you signed it for me. What I got to do is I got to come down to Colts Neck or whatever, and I got to get you to put the HOF, H-O-F on. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then, then what I'm going to do once you do that, I'm going to put it up and then laminate it up on the wall here in my little museum that I have. You see some of the stuff I got yeah. by me here. Without but, a doubt, buddy. Yeah, we definitely got to do that. There's no no question about it. I want to go back though a little bit. Richard Todd, okay? Because I look at those teams, and, I, and he might have been the nicest guy in the world, but Richard Todd, to me, was the reason that my team didn't get to the Super Bowl when you guys were there. You know, you mentioned the game against Buffalo, Bill Simpson, the game against, you know, A.J. Dewey still running in the mud in Miami. Uh, what about him? What, what kind of guy was Richard Todd? Well, I, I think Richard was pretty good for us, my, myself. Reason being is Richard was tough. Richard took a beating. And, uh, you know, Richard always kept on coming out. 
and, and you take the game against Buffalo, we're down 14 nothing. Yeah. The reason the reason we get to that game is Richard, and the reason we almost won that game. I mean, I agree. You know, you talk about tides turning. One little play, he doesn't throw that interception, and we score. He's a different person. And then in Miami, he made AJ Dewey a hero. You know, oh god, nobody ever heard about AJ Dewey until that game. You know, and again, you know, they took our game away. They yep. took Freeman out of the game. They took yep. the out of the game was by having our speed. And they hurt us, there's no doubt. And then, of course, he's pressing to make the game work because the running game wasn't working at all. You know, and he's pressing to make it work. And he makes two of the biggest mistakes he made in his whole career. You know, and, and you know, I've talked to Richard many times about it. And he's always, oh, I'll apologize. But you don't have to apologize. We were not, we're not there if it doesn't, if he doesn't mm-hmm. play the way he does in the prior games. You know, a lot of people didn't realize that, you know, and a lot of people didn't realize when he got shot, he got shot up in his ribs when he got hurt so bad that right. you know, he came out to play. And that was that Miami game. That was that game against Miami when he hit Jerome Bauckham in the end zone in the for end the game winning touchdown. Exactly. 81. So, you know, those are the kind of things that I look at for Richard that, you know, he was a great guy. And the one thing that letting the people know, Richard was such a great guy, like on, on, on Friday night, you know, if we wanted to go out or whatever, Richard said, no, Richard used to take my son, my oldest son, Michael, and Richard used to watch movies with him. At his really? Apartment, you know, and then he could bring him back into practice on Saturday. Richard was just a great guy. And then, you know, because of the things he did, you know, that are glaring, which is the, the interception against Buffalo. And then, of course, the Miami game, people don't realize how many good things he did for us. Right, right. How about your relationship with Joe Walton? To me, Joe Walton was a terrible head coach. Is that is that fair, is that fair to say, Joe? Yeah, I, I say, you know, and I'm, I'm agreeing with you, you know. And the, the problem of it was, is, you know, I, I mean, matter of fact, when he released me and uh, he said to me, he goes, I'm doing it for your benefit, I'm going, you're going to worry about my benefit all of a sudden, you know, I mean, and I almost came over the desk at him. I mean, I, I was so mad. He said to me, he said, nobody knows this. And he said to me, he goes, well, he offered me a coaching job. Really? Yeah. And I, and I, and I said, you gotta be kidding me. I said, he's, what do you mean? I goes, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to stop playing. And he said to me, he goes, well, what do you have to say? And I said, what? He goes, well, at least you'd say thank you. And I, I got so mad. I was, you know, so I left his office and uh, yeah, he was, he was quite the detriment for us, I think. Yeah, no, he was, he was a terrible head coach. There's no doubt about it. Uh, again, talking to the legendary, the great, the great Joe Klecko. So did you ever think about coaching? No, you know, yeah, at the very end, you know, every football player, I think does the same thing because it's what you know, you know, right. and, uh, you know, there's two things I knew at the time was construction and, and coaching. Or football, you know, and I called a couple coaches and all, and then you know, one of the coaches that answered my call was Don Tua. Yeah, really, what a great guy. Yeah, I mean, I got to know him a little bit after I played and stuff like that down in Florida. I actually was at Joe Stone Crab one day. He was there eating, and I had a long talk with him there. And uh, what a super guy he really is. He was a he was a, a football guy for the NFL and all the players, and, and he was a good guy, great coach, tough guy. But uh, you know, I, I thought a lot. I I got a I have a lot of respect for him. And, uh, but, you know, like I said, I knew coaching and I knew construction. 
So wound up, I wound up back in the construction business. Now, what? Now you tell me what a great guy Shula was when, when you were talking to him. Did you did you mention about the no top in Miami? No, in the no, championship? I did not. No, no, no. no <laughs> you no, didn't no. mention that, Joe. No, I did. No. I, I I didn't want to bring any of that up. I just said hi to him. It was great to talk to him, and he was going on about me. I said, Coach, I said I just came over to say hi. You know, yeah, but uh, it was a great guy. It really was. Wow. Yeah, well, I got no great love for Don Shula for obvious reasons, but he probably, but he was, but I will say this, but he was, there's no question about him being, an, you know, one of the all-time great coaches. I mean, that you, you got to give him credit. You got to say that. speaks for itself, yes. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. The one game for you, the Joe Klecko game that's most memorable, was it that Raider game? Well, I mean, which, which one? Wow. I know you ever asked me that question, Joe. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, Listen, going to the playoffs, of course, was a highlight of our career. But, uh, you know, he's a whiz. I think the, maybe the best game I ever played was the Green Bay game that we won at Shea the last right. game of the season. And, I, you know, I know we had 10 sacks. I don't know how many times we hit Len Dickey, but we were, we were living on top of him, you know. So I think that was one of the better games I ever played. And all of us, because that was like we had to win that game, you know. And, that was one of the, the keys to it, you know, of us getting after the quarterback. So uh, I, that that game stands out to me mostly, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, that's hard because again, I had a lot of good games I played in the NFL and uh, a lot of fun games, you know. But that was probably the most the most fun for me to play because you know, sacking the quarterback is always a, a treasure for a defensive lineman. Well, that was a fun day for us at Shea, I can tell you that. That was a party. We didn't, we didn't get many. I think you won that game 37-14. I think that was the final score. And that was, uh, you know, that was a party day, Joe, which we haven't had a lot as Jet fans over the years. You know, big big party days, you know what I mean? Oh, I, remember, I remember going to the parking lot, and I had Klecko's Country out there, and uh, the guys who were uh, ex-New York cops were all the guys that started it and all. And I, I was out in the parking lot with them, so everybody left the parking lot. Yeah, no, that was crazy stuff. You know, one thing, and and, and, I, and I'll let you go after this because I really appreciate the time. I can't, I can't thank you enough, man. You're, you know, you, you know. I, well, I, Joe, let me say, Joe, really, you and I know each other a long time. We and do. I understand where you're coming from, and for me, it's a pleasure to do this. Well, I appreciate it. I tell you, John, I got to tell you, this is no, this is true. So when I saw you get, when I saw you on that stage finally to come up to get that from Namath that you were in, I mean, I, uh, bless you, I got. I got some tears in my eyes, Joe. I got to oh, tell right. you, I was—I got a little emotional for that because it was, you know, so long. You know what else too? Gary Myers was from the Daily News all those years. Was a big part of getting you with the Hall of Fame, wasn't no, he? No, he was it. He was it. I, you know, we didn't talk about that yet, okay? And I—I uh, I, I give Gary all his kudos because, you know, I tell you one thing he did that was really smart and out of the box a little bit. He put together a Zoom call. With all of the all of the voters, excuse me, my my phone has got turned off. But uh, uh, he got maybe that's Gary, with, huh? Maybe that's Gary calling you. Never know. No. Anyway, he put together a Zoom call right. with all the Hall of Famers that played against me and a few more, which was Howie Long, and uh, uh, all the voters on the senior committee, and he and he he said that. That was probably what put it over the top. And that was a great, that was his idea. And that was right. a great idea, you know. I said, you know, if you're ever to thank anything over COVID, 
there was Zooms nowadays, you know, and sure. he did that Zoom call, and he said that's probably what did it. Wow. Well, yeah, he, was, he was he was hammering it and, you know, calling everybody and everything, and he really did a great job. I can't thank Gary. Everything, you know, I owe it, I owe it to him. I do. You know, one thing, before I let you go, one thing that I've always been upset about as a Jet fan, all, you know, you know, for all the almost 60 years now, I don't think we've ever had our own home 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 stadium. Uh -huh. Okay. That to me, that's a big deal. I mean, even Shea Stadium, it was really the Mets Stadium. Even I'm a yeah. Mets fan, but it was still the Mets Stadium. We always played in the Giant, even in Giant Stadium, even this place now, to me, that's still their, their stadium. I don't care how green they make it, Joe. It's still their stadium. It's on that ground that used that. to be called. It's on that ground that used to be called Giant Stadium. Right, you know, right. I remember when we were lobbying to put the stadium in New York City. Remember yep. down on the west side in of the highway over there? Yep. Right yep. by the Javits Center. They had that whole plan over the rail yards to put the stadium. Yep. Now they built all the buildings. But uh, I remember actually going to a rally in Midtown and with all the union guys and all. And I was up on stage. We were rallying. And one of the guys shot it down. One of the uh, committee men from New York City shot it down. And then that's when they went into partners with the Giants over in the Meadowlands. And uh, I would have loved to have in New York, you know, because, you know, they were talking about how do you get there. I said, all the ferries come right to there. You know, right, and then right. you had the West Side Highway on a yep. Sunday, you know, it would have been great for us to play there. But uh, you're right, Joe. You, you have you have a valid, a valid question there, and, and it is something that is missing in a way. But, you know, listen, it is what it is. And, of course, we all know the dollar bill works, works our day most of the time. And uh, that was the only that was the only way that the Jets could have had you know their their stadium back you know you know I could all I only I could only wish Joe like I said I'm a big Met fan too I could only wish that Steve Cohen would buy the Jets okay because I don't think too much of Woody Johnson I don't want to get I don't want to get into that with you but nevertheless that Steve Cohen would buy the Jets and put the Jets Stadium okay he could call it Leon Hess Stadium whatever you want to call it and put it right there right across from City Field and where the Mets are. Because that's really where you guys belong. Let's be honest about it. Well, well, you know, Queens was – that was a big part of our life. And, you know, that's where the Super Bowl started for the Jets. And, you know, and even, like you say, even though it was a Mets stadium also, it, there, we have a lot of history there. There's no doubt. Yep. Yeah, that's really where you guys should be. Joe, I can't thank you enough, man. I'm telling you. So so what? what's the – do you know the weekend of the induction? August, whatever? You know yeah, what August 5th. Uh, August 5th. Yeah, the game's going to be on Thursday, and the induction ceremony is going to be on Saturday at noon. Wow. Might have to get out to Canton for that one. That's going to be a big day for uh, for the Jet fans. You know what I mean? Oh, there's no doubt. There's going to be a lot of people there from New York. Yep. Yeah. With me and Revis going in and playing, they're also going to be playing in the game. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully, Joe, we can get we finally get that Super Bowl. You know, I can only, I only hope. Look, I, I, I always say this, Joe. I'm going to be 70 years old this year. When we won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three back in you know January of '69, I was 15, 15, Joe. <laughs> I'm gonna be 70, and we still haven't been there, Joe. I'm, I, it's it's I'm mind boggling, you know, mind boggling, I, Joe. I, I think there's a couple things here to play, and and Joe Douglas, I believe that you know my Danny, when Danny was down in Philly, he right, was right, three and post game shows, and he got to know Joe a little bit down there when he got the job. He said, Dad, he goes, he, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And I think Joe's proven that. Of course, 
the quarterback situation. Right, right. You know, you give him a pass almost. But uh, I think Salah is a head coach. I think he's got it all together. Uh, you know, um, I don't remember the coach's name the other two years ago that died in the Viking accident. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. For the past Greg season. Knapp. Greg Knapp. Greg Knapp. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, you know, he just brought in uh, Hackett. You know, so I, I, I think he does know what he's doing. Defensively, there's no doubt they're a great football team. But if they get the offense turning, and, you know, I, I was at the Jet Complex yesterday, and, uh, you know, Joe Douglas expressed the time. He's, got a, he's going out to Indianapolis now. And, uh, you know, the free agency system in the, in the offensive line is a big priority. Yeah, no, they got to fix the offensive. That's good. The number one draft choice has to be an offensive lineman, no doubt about it. But, Joe, I pray for the day we win the Super Bowl again while I'm still on the earth. And someday maybe we have our own stadium. I don't know if I'll be alive for that, but our own stadium. And we'll have a statue of Joe Namath and a statue of Joe Klecko outside <laughs> or outside the Jet Stadium. You know what I, I mean? Know, I know if it was up to you, Joe, it would be that way. I know. That. Oh, please. If it was up to me, forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. Joe, if it was up to me, we might have won a few Super Bowls already. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would I'll take my chances. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let me own the team. Let me own the team. I wouldn't I'm not a coach. I'm not a, a personnel guy or anything like that. Although I think I got a pretty good feel of because I watch a lot of the college football. But you know what? Let me own the team and, and and call the shots that way. We would have won already. <laughs> uh, Joe, you know, you've always been – and everybody knows you're a monster Jet fan. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, Joe, nothing but love for you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on. And one more time, congratulations on finally getting into that Hall of Fame because there is no question you're one of the greats to ever do it. Let me tell you right now. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Joe, you all the love. Thank you so much. We'll talk. We'll get together so I can get well, that. I got to sign that jersey, so. We'll work it out. I'll give you a call. We'll straight, We'll work it out. Even if all I right. come down to your place, we'll straighten it out. Thanks, Joe. Joe, all the love, bro. Thank you. Right. Take care. Let me finish it off here, though. And let me just say again before we go here, the great Joe Klecko, how, how great was he? Can't thank him enough for coming on. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, let me get my sponsors in here again. I'm just going to run them down. Uh, of course, the Hackensack Brewing Company. Of course, DraftKings. And of course, Anita Discount Tire. Special Tuesday edition of the Oda Payne Podcast with the great, the Hall of Famer, the great Joe Klecko. We'll be back. We'll talk to you Friday for our regular Friday Oda Payne Podcast. All the love, everybody.